The reading today uh, is from John chapter 4, verses 7 to 19. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and, um, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Well, Jonathan, thank you very much indeed for reading that, and we're going to stay with that passage this lunchtime. I don't often go to the doctors, fortunately, well, not yet. Uh, When I do, the conversation is invariably pretty much the same. Hello, what seems to be the problem? Well, doctor, I've got a pain here, which changes, but it's normally a leg or my back. I see, well, let's have a look. And then comes uh, lots of pressing and prodding and bending from him and lots of ouch from me. In other words, before the doctor can do anything to help, he's got to work out what's wrong with me. Diagnosis comes before prescription. Last week and this, we're looking at two very different people. One, a highly moral insider, a leader of the uh, civic and religious establishment, and a man. That was Nicodemus last week. The other, a social, moral, and religious outsider, an outcast who happens to be a woman. She's our focus today. Well, in John 4... Jesus is travelling with his disciples through Samaria, which is outside Judea. When he gets to the town, his disciples leave to get something to eat. And Jesus is both tired and thirsty. It's midday, the hottest part of the day. And he heads for a well to get a drink. He has no way to get water from the well, so he he engages in conversation with this local woman, our outsider, where our story picks up in our reading in verse 17. Let me explain how remarkable this conversation is. First, it was between a Jew and a Samaritan. We'd think nothing of such a conversation, but she is clearly shocked. We can see that there in verse 9. You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? She's shocked 
that Jesus should have started such a conversation at all. Such was the animosity that existed between Jew and Samaritan. And this was the result of history. When the Jews were exiled to Babylon, the few who stayed behind intermarried with the uh, Canaanites and mixed their religion in a bit with them as well. So the Jews considered Samaritans both racially inferior and theologically dodgy. Also, it's between a man and a woman. It would have been scandalous for a Jewish man to talk to any strange woman in public. But it gets worse. Why is she out alone, drawing water when it's hottest? Because she's a moral outcast, a complete outsider, even within her own society. So when Jesus speaks to her, he's reaching across almost every significant barrier that people can put between themselves. A racial barrier, a cultural barrier, a gender barrier, and a moral barrier. And to add to that, Jesus crosses every convention of the time. That is, he, a religious Jewish male, should have nothing to do at all with her. But he reaches across all these human divides in order to connect with her. And she's amazed. And we should be amazed as well. But there's something else about it. It was also very friendly, but challenging at the same time. Though Jesus is both open and warm towards this woman, he still confronts her. He begins very cleverly in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What on earth is Jesus talking about? He's speaking metaphorically, using living water to refer to eternal life. There at the end of verse 14. But the power of this image is a little lost on us, isn't it? You see, every home in the UK, pretty much, well, I'm sure, has ready access to living water. Most of us know very little about real thirst, either. But if we lived in a really arid country, near a desert, you'd know it well. To be genuinely thirsty is to be in real agony. And then to taste water, again, is the most satisfying physical experience possible. So what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, verse 13 and 14, I've got something that is as basic and necessary to you spiritually as water is to you physically. Something without which you are completely finished. And this metaphor of living water means even more than that. Jesus is not just telling us that what he has to offer is life-saving. He's also revealing that it satisfies us on the inside. He says, verse 14, My water, if you get it, will, will become in you a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. He's talking about deep satisfaction. He's talking about incredible satisfaction. He's talking about contentment that doesn't depend on what's happening outside us. So let me ask you, what will make you happy? What do you think will give you real happiness in life? And satisfy you in life. Almost all our answers are something outside us. Some of us have hopes set on romantic love, some on career or family, some on social or political causes, some on money and what it can do for us. But whatever it is that makes you say, if I had that, if I could get there, then I know I'd um, be important, then I know I'd. Um, have significance, then I know I have security. It's almost certainly something 
outside you. Yet Jesus says there's nothing outside you that can truly satisfy the thirst that is deep, deep down inside you. So to return to the metaphor, if you don't need water, you don't need water splashed on your face, he's saying. What you need is, you need it to come deep from within you. And Jesus says in verses 13 and 14, I can give it. I am the one and only person who can. I can put it inside you. I can give you absolute, unfathomable satisfaction in the core of your being, regardless of what is going on around you, regardless of your circumstances. But something gets in the way of us hearing what Jesus is talking about. I think it's that most of us aren't able to recognise our soul thirst for what it is. You see, as long as we think there's a pretty good chance that we'll achieve some of our dreams, as long as we think we've got a shot at success, we experience our inner emptiness as drive and our anxiety as hope. And so we remain almost completely oblivious to how deep our thirst actually is. Most of us tell ourselves that the reason we remain unfulfilled is because we haven't quite got there yet. We haven't achieved our goals yet. And so we can live almost our entire lives without admitting to ourselves the depth of our spiritual thirst. And that's why the few people in life who do reach or even exceed their dreams are so shocked to discover that these longed-for achievements don't satisfy. Indeed, they can enhance the inner emptiness by their very presence. So the great uh, tennis champion Boris Becker, who, as you know, won Wimbledon three times in the 80s, the first time when he was just 17, said this, I had Wimbledon, I've won Wimbledon twice, once as the youngest player. I was rich, I had all the material possessions I needed. It's the old song of the movie stars and the pop stars who commit suicide. They have everything, and yet they are so unhappy. But I have no inner peace. You might say, well, I'd rather have his problems than mine. But his point is that he has the same problem as ours. And like us, he thought money, sex, accomplishment, fame would solve it. The difference is... He got all those things, and in the end, they didn't satisfy his thirst in the slightest. Then there's the famous Sophia Loren interview, in which she said she had everything, awards, marriage, fame. But then in my life, there is an emptiness that is impossible to fill. Everyone of us has got something to live for, but Jesus is arguing that he is the something. He is the one that will not fail you. Everything else will enslave you, he's saying. Whatever thing it is, whatever you tell yourself that if I've got that, all will be well. Whatever it is that you say, if I haven't got that, there will be no tomorrow. It means that if something else threatens us, we become inordinately scared. If anything else blocks it, we become inordinately angry. And if we fail to achieve it, we'll never be able to forgive ourselves. But second, if we do achieve it, it will fail to fulfill what we expect. And Jesus says, verse 13 and 14, unless you're worshipping me, unless I'm the centre of your life, unless you're trying to get your spiritual thirst quenched through me and not through all these other things, unless you see that the solution must come from inside rather than outside, then whatever you worship will abandon you in the end. 
I say we often forget how thirsty we are because we believe we will fulfil our dreams. And when that happens, it's so easy to walk past Jesus. But this woman at the well has no such illusions. And so the hook is set. She immediately says to Jesus, verse 15, What is this living water? Would you give it to me? And then he turns the tables on her and says, verse 16, Go and get your husband. And she replies, But I don't have a husband. No, you're right, he says. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with right now is not your husband. What is Jesus doing? Surely here is this woman with her long and sordid sexual history. We have someone who fits the traditional understanding of a sinner. Is he trying to humiliate her? No. If that were the case, he'd never have broken all those social barriers of respectability and opened up the conversation with her in the gentle way that he did. So why does Jesus suddenly change the subject from seeking living water to her history with men? Well, the answer is he isn't changing the subject. He's nudging her, saying, if you want to understand the nature of this living water I offer, you need first to understand how you've been seeking it in your own life. You've been trying to get it through men. And it's not working, is it? Your need for men is eating you alive. And it will never stop. At this point, the woman, shocked by his knowledge of her and his insights, responds in verse 19, See, sir, I see you are a prophet. And then she asks him one of the greatest theological questions of the day. It's just after our reading in verse 20. We worship at this temple here, and the Jews worship at the temple in Jerusalem. Who's right? Well, the following verses, 21 to 24, are Jesus' response. And it's a remarkable paragraph. It could be summarised like this. Well, the time is coming when there'll be no need for a physical temple in order to have access to God. And overwhelmed, she responds, verse 25, when the Messiah comes, he'll explain all these things to us. And finally, Jesus drops the bomb in the next verse, verse 26. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Well, if we were to look on in uh, John chapter 4, we'll see that the Samaritan woman tells her friends about the living water that she's found. She testifies to meeting the Messiah and invites everyone to go and meet him too. But here's the question to ponder. Why did she find salvation? Well, it was because Jesus was thirsty, wasn't it? If he'd not been thirsty, he'd not have gone to the well. And she wouldn't have found the living water that she found. But why was Jesus thirsty? It was because the divine Son of God, the maker of heaven and earth, had emptied himself of his glory and descended into the world as a vulnerable mortal, subject to becoming weary and thirsty. In other words, she found living water because Jesus said, I thirst. That's not the last time Jesus said, I thirst, in John's Gospel. On the cross, just before he died, he said, I thirst. And he meant more than just physical thirst. There, Jesus was experiencing the loss of the relationship with his Father, because he was taking the punishment we deserve for our sins. There he was cut off from the Father, the source of living water. Jesus was experiencing ultimate, torturous, killing eternal thirst, of which the worst death by dehydration is just a hint. That's both paradoxical and astonishing. 
It's because Jesus experienced cosmic thirst on the cross that you and I can have our spiritual thirst satisfied. It's because he died that we can be born again. And he did it gladly. Seeing what he did and why he did it will turn our hearts away from all the things that enslave us and instead turn us to worship the person we must, the Lord Jesus himself. Let me pray as we finish. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus' gentle but uh, searching conversation with this, uh, this extraordinary woman. We pray that uh, his words to her might uh, go deep into our lives and that we might know, as she did, that living water and find in him all that we need for eternity. In Christ's name, amen.